It's episode 7, and the Temp Fans podcast is still a thing. Who would have thought it way back in April when we struggled through our debut episode on ESG? At the time, in order to make things seem manageable, we talked about season 1 and said it would have 6 episodes, because it was hard to imagine actually reaching such a milestone. And yet here we are, entering the second part of the David Bowie triple header, and blithely leaping over what should have been the season finale. Season schmeezen. We'll stop when we get bored. Or sick or captured by the rising forces of fascism. Anyway, hopefully you're here because you've already listened to episode 6, in which we probed the first third of David Bowie's discography. Or perhaps you're listening to them backwards, because that's the kind of rebel you are. Or if you've just stumbled across us at random, allow me to take a moment to explain what it is we do here. Temporary Fandoms is a group of music nerds who listen to complete discographies for fun. We started life on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans, and this year we launched a steadily growing podcast. Actually, I don't know if it's steadily growing, I just said that because it sounded grand. Either way, we strongly recommend you listen on Spotify, where you'll find the podcast edited into a playlist with tracks from all the albums we're talking about. And the easiest way to find that is via our host's Beat Rehab. Just go to beat.rehab.com slash temp fans. Enough of that. You've got a shitload of great records to listen to, and a load of enthusiastic temp fans who are keen to talk about them. So join us for, yes, episode 7, which also happens to be David Bowie, part 2. Hello, uh, I'm Ewan, which is something I've neglected to say at the start of the last few episodes, and... I'm Nick. Um, you've heard us before. Um, this is part two of our David Bowie trifecta, triumvirate, uh, triple uh, pods. Um, hopefully you've listened to the first one. It was really long. It was awesome. Thanks to Ben, Lyle and Emily for joining us on that one. Um, you should know the deal by now. You can find us on beat.rehab. Um, listen, subscribe, like things, leave comments. Uh, be really, really appreciated. Today, we are moving from um, what some people say was Bowie's sort of early cool uh, period with Ziggy and uh, Space Oddity and all of those things. And we're looking to make some ch -ch -ch changes and move on elsewhere. That was terrible. I might edit that out. <laughs> but let's see who we have today. Um, uh, Steve, how are you doing and what are you going to be covering? Hey everyone, uh, I shall be covering the not-so-insignificant Berlin period from 1976 to 1979, covering Low, Heroes and Lodger. Awesome, thank you very much. And returning to the pod, we've got Zoe. You last heard her shouting Stormzy, Stormzy, Stormzy. Um, Zoe, hey, how are you doing and what have you got for us today? Hi, I'm doing the 80s, so we've got, oh god, I've got to remember all the albums. Scary Masters and Super Creeps. Uh, Let's Dance, and then we have Tonight, and then Never Let Me Down, ironic name for that album. Um, <laughs> there we go. So that's our four for the 80s. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so like we did in the last part, we're going to keep this quick. Um, after I finish talking, you're going to hear Steve talking through the Berlin period, and then you'll hear Zoe. If you're on Spotify, listening on the playlist, obviously there's also chosen tracks to go with this and we'll all come back together at the end to tell us 
tell us, tell you what we think. Um, incidentally, if there's an extra voice at the end, it's because we're waiting for someone who may or may not turn up. So um, see you after this. David Bowie's so-called Berlin period of 1976 to 1979 is rightly regarded as one of his most creatively fruitful periods. Yet it was a period initially defined by his need to escape the trappings of the success he had recently found in the USA. With a Herculean cocaine habit, a disintegrating marriage and ongoing management issues, Bowie hopped off to Europe to record an album with that other bastion of sobriety, Iggy Pop. The recording of Iggy's The Idiot in 1976 allowed Bowie to concentrate on someone else's music and afforded him some room to find a new sound. Somewhat re-energised, he also began work in parallel on what would become his 11th studio album, Low. Brian Eno was drafted in to augment the already stellar backing band, most of whom had featured on Station to Station, not that any of them can remember it, and Tony Visconti returned to production duties after a brief hiatus. What unfolded resulted in an album quite unlike anything Bowie had produced before. After laying down the backing tracks and most of the vocals, everyone decamped from France to West Berlin and installed themselves at the cavernous studios of Hansa to finish things off. The impact of this change can perhaps be mapped to the running order and the A-side-B-side split which dominates the album. Kicking off with instrumental curtain or speed of life, we're immediately into one of Eno's synthscapes and then bang, we hit the electro glam of breaking glass. What follows on side A is a collection of songs detailing Bowie's ever-growing paranoia and internalised isolation. But gone are the lavish persona-powered pop and rock tunes of old. Here we have angularity, aggressive experimentation and almost no regard for radio-friendly unit shifters. And it's not difficult to imagine RCA's reaction to the mostly instrumental side B of Low. Pining for more of those young Americans in golden years, the likes of Warzawa, Art Decade and Weeping Wall must have been like cavemen listening to Einstein. But on tracks like Subterraneans, a song originally intended for inclusion on the soundtrack of The Man Who Fell to Earth, you can immediately hear the seeds of everything from Aphex Twin's ambient works to later album Talk Talk, and in the production of Sound and Visions, it's a sonic template Bowie would often come to revisit. Commercially, Law may not have been as well received upon its initial release, but its legacy very much lives on in both those it inspired and the versions of Bowie that would follow. After touring with Iggy in early 77, Bowie re returned to Hansa Studios with Mr Pop and began work on Iggy's Lust for Life album. Upon completion, Boy was ready to undertake what would become studio album number 12, Heroes. Having lived in Berlin for some time now, Boy had come to appreciate his relative anonymity, allowing him to observe and absorb the political and cultural zeitgeist which surrounded him, but without the glare of celebrity upon him. But there were still lingering problems. Bowie's marriage was disintegrating at speed and he was still struggling to find the mental spaces which allowed him to craft his characters and lyrics. Thankfully, he was again surrounded by many of the players who featured on Low and Lust for Life. And, at the suggestion of Brian Eno, King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp was brought on board. This was a move which would cement much of the distinctive sonic palette of the Heroes album and what followed. 
Despite the levels of experimentation and the constraints of the recording equipment at the time, most of the takes utilised on each track were actually first takes, with tracks often having to be wiped out to allow the recording of any additional takes. In comparison to Lowe's instrumental opener, Beauty and the Beast is an ominous and edgy track, full of threat. Fripp's signature riffs and Eno's complementary synths becoming an integral part of how the direction of the album would unfold. In his lyrics, Bowie was reflecting not only what was going on inside his head, but also the world taking place right outside the Hansa studio windows. An environment he would capture in the album's unforgettable title track, a song which undeniably sits at the top of Bowie's considerable list of musical achievements. As much a result of Visconti's ingenuity and his use of the studio's acoustics as a tool, Heroes really does sound like nothing else. Crammed with romanticism and imagery, it has a temporal feel, locking the listener into the Cold War Berlin landscape of 1977. Yet even today it still sounds utterly futuristic, with those lyrics losing none of their power. Surely a testament to both the studio and experimentation taking place, and Bowie's incredible vocal delivery. At this point it's noticeable that the risky experimentations previously undertaken on Lowe had been honed and refined to produce longer songs with more solid structure. But the distinctive side A-B concept was in use again, a literal wall between each side. Opening side B is Bowie's homage to Kraftwerk's Florian Schneider, essentially an instrumental because of its vocal treatment, were treated to some killer offbeat Bowie sax and Fripp emulating the sound of an ominous V2 bomber buzzing overhead. This then descends into Sense of Doubt, possibly the bleakest thing Bowie ever recorded. Its descending piano line creating a creepy tense atmosphere above another Eno synthscape. It melts straight into the following track, Moth Garden, potentially the first Japanese ambient track ever written. I wouldn't be surprised if Susumu Yokota was a fan. This too bleeds into its neighbour, Noikon. Filled with synth organs, foghorn sax and menacing guitar lines, it sounds like the soundtrack to the late night streets of Berlin Bowie would often walk. And finally we have The Secret Life of Arabia, an oddly uplifting track which features a more traditional Bowie structure than probably anything else on the album. It's almost disco-grade bassline and hand claps leaving us in a very different place to the one which opened the album and ultimately setting up the album which would follow. Commercially, the Heroes album was better received than Low, but it certainly didn't garner the praise it rightly receives today. It's not perfect by any means, but in all honesty, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect Bowie album. And Heroes is a better album for it. And finally, we have Lodger, studio album number 13 and part three of the Berlin trilogy. Despite the fact it was actually recorded in Switzerland, and then mixed in New York. Working to an enforced timescale, the Lodger sessions took place between various stages of Bowie's 1978 Isler 2 World Tour and featured the same core musicians as used on Low and Heroes. Except this time Robert Fripp had been replaced by future King Crimson partner and ex-Zappa guitarist Adrian Bellew. Yet structurally, Lodger's quite different. Gone is the B-side instrumental split of Low and Heroes, and we're back to more traditional song structures. Opener Fantastic Voyage features none of the sonic shocks and gymnastics of the previous albums. However, the abrupt fade-outs are back, 
stealing away Bowie's quite astonishing vocals before they can be fully absorbed. Tracks such as African Night Flight and Move On continue an underlying theme of travel and movement, and a world opening up before Bowie. And in Yassassin we can hear more worldly musical influences, with its almost reggae-style backing track replete with Turkish embellishments. It's actually surprisingly addictive, the repeated mantra of Yassassin pulling you into the music. Side A closes out with Red Sails, another stomper powered by a continuous Can-esque beat. It's here that Bellew's guitar starts to come into its own, melding nicely with Eno's synths and Bowie's sax. Side B, as mentioned, does not feature the numerous instrumentals, synonymous with the previous two albums. Instead, we're straight out of the gate with DJ. An odd choice for a single, this track is noticeable for another fantastic take by Adrian Bellew his energetic guitar bringing the meat to a fairly standard Bowie composition. Then we have the juggernaut which is Look Back in Anger, an absolute powerhouse of a track with Dennis Davis and George Murray absolutely hammering their way through from start to finish. This energy continues into the androgynous glam garage of Boys Keep Swinging. Released as a single in the UK, but unsurprisingly not in the USA, it returned Bowie to the top 10, a feat not achieved since Lowe's sound and vision. The track Repetition tries to continue in the same vein, but its elastic guitars and simplistic vocals fail to elevate it to similar heights. For me, this is probably the weakest track on the album. Closing track Red Money is fundamentally a reworking of Iggy and Bowie's Sister Midnight, which features on The Idiot. In my opinion, it lacks the underlying sneer of the Iggy version, but musically it's still superb and rounds off the album nicely. Bowie's repeated, Can you hear me at all? coming across as a message to his paymasters at RCA. Another commercial damp squib, Lodger would in later years begin to gain plaudits for its influence upon the artists who would follow. But despite a sprinkling of killer tracks, for me, it still sits very much behind Low and Heroes when it comes to the Berlin trilogy but these three albums do undoubtedly share a similar chemistry by virtue of the Bowie-Eno-Visconti axis and a quite ridiculously brilliant backing band. Take out any of these elements and I doubt we'd be discussing these albums with anywhere near the sort of reverence that they garner today.